0: This morning, if you will, just take your Bibles and go to the book of Ephesians, okay? We're going to be spending a good bit of our time this morning. We're going to be spending all of our time this morning in the book. And um, you probably are going to need your seatbelts. I usually like to get in one passage and kind of just get settled and, and stick there. But today I'm going to be moving through several passages. Uh, I would encourage you, maybe even later today when you get home, you might uh, read the book um, of Ephesians, at least the first three chapters into chapter four, where I'll be trying to spend most of our time today. Um, the only thing that will prohibit today is time. To be honest with you, uh, I think uh, I could go all afternoon, and I know many of you have lunch pans and kids and naps and all that kind of that kind of stuff. And you have just life. So in this time we have together, we're gonna we're gonna try to move a little bit a little bit quick. I'm going to start by reading in chapter one. Verses 22 and 23, I read that last week as I began this series on community, Growing Together in Oneness. I've been, been really looking at and thinking about this subject for some time now. What is community? What does that look like? And one of the things I began to realize is, is that we really have to kind of look at the Godhead. If you look in your Bibles at Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 22 through 23, and just keep in mind, verses 22 and 23 is at the end of a, of a prayer that started in verse 15 of chapter 1. And this is, this is all one sentence in the Greek. If you were to go back to the original language, you would find that this is all one sentence through here. But in verses 22 and 23 is really where I want to focus as we start off and, and probably will be using it as my launch pad uh, each week. that that we're in this series. So look at verse 22, and it says, and he, this is referring to God, and he, God, put all things under his, Jesus. So he, God, put all things under his, Jesus' feet and gave him, Jesus, as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is a very powerful passage to me as I've been really spending some time looking at this, and we looked at it last week, but I'm using it again to launch out here again, that God had given Christ to the church. And God had placed Jesus as the head over the church. And he put all things under Jesus' feet. He put everything under his feet. And then he gave Jesus to the church who the fullness of him fills all in all. In other words, we're filled with Christ. I, I really think, That when I look at this passage, I begin to start thinking about that metaphor that Paul uses, the head and the body. That when we think about the church, when we think about community, when we think about unity, we need to understand right off the bat that Jesus is in charge. Can I say that? That Jesus is Lord. That Jesus is the one who guides the body. He's the one who's over the body. And he's been given to the church. And he is the head over the church. And his fullness is what fills all in all. This became very real for me in Tanzania because when I was in Tanzania, I just just kept meeting believer after believer and it was just amazing the immediate unity, the immediate connection that we had. It It wasn't because of subject personality, race or economic status or power or anything else. It was simply because within us was the spirit of God that dwelled and we were part of God's family. And so we as a church need to start rethinking about the way that we look at the church. We need to understand that when we come into the church, we're coming here as God's people. It's really important to understand this, that he is Lord and I am servant. Now, let me, let me stress something here too as well. Let me stress the fact that as, a, as an elder in the church, as a pastor, as Greg or whatever, I am no different than anybody else in this church. I am not. I am a member of the body of Christ just like everybody else in here. I myself have my own struggles. I have my own failures. If you spend enough time with me, you will see plenty of them. I do not know how God can take somebody like me and turn me as a servant of His, except by the power of God that works. I have many, many failures. You probably feel like you have failures and within the body of Christ, you find yourself looking or wondering how do you fit in? And the reality is we fit in because we're part of the body that Christ is the head of the church, is the one who's over the body and He's the one that we look to and he's the one that works in our lives. It's interesting that Paul says these last two verses at the end of this, this prayer that started back in verse 15. If you were to go back to verse 15 and you would see where Paul says, for this reason, He's talking about the previous context that was in in the first part of Ephesians in chapter 1, verses 3 through 14. He says, for this reason, talking back to to that salvation that we have, that calling that has been given to us, that, 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 that that, that position in which we have because of what Jesus has done in our life, that I stand here today, I approach the throne of Christ, I do not find retribution, I find peace because of the righteousness of Christ, because of the work of God in my life. And in chapter 1, uh, chapter, uh, chapter one verses 3 through 14, we find the Trinity evolved. We see God the Father. He's choosing. We see the Son. He's redeeming. We see the Holy Spirit of God. He is sealing us and he, unto that, unto that, for that inheritance, under that promise that will be ours, that he's our guarantee of that, that which he has said. In fact, I realized as I began to look at this passage that really everything had to be put under Jesus' feet because how could I be sure of my salvation if he wasn't over all? If Jesus didn't have the power, if he wasn't the king, if he wasn't the Lord of lords, if he wasn't who he said he was, how could I be confident of my salvation? My confidence and my hope and my, my uh, uh, certainty is because not of what I've accomplished or what I've done, but because of what he's done. And all things have been put under his feet. So when we look at the church, when we walk into the church, we as God's people need to start understanding that the church is God's idea. When we talk about community, it wasn't something we came up with, but it was God's idea. It was his design. When we talk about what what unity looks like, we must understand unity isn't defined by our definition. It's defined by God's definition. And when we walk into the church, we need to be a people understanding that we bow to one and one only, to God Almighty and his son, Jesus Christ, and his spirit that dwells within us. So that we, as we come together as a body of Christ, what our tendency is to do is we begin to come into the church and we begin to evaluate and we think critically and we look for what we like or what we don't. And we really need to be careful of that, people of God. Because all that does is create division. It creates, it creates a divisiveness in which, which is not reflective of what God has done within the church of God. We gotta be his people in fact, he goes on and he, he does in that, in that prayer when he says to him, he says, he says, hey, I pray on your behalf for this reason because of this great salvation. I pray, why? Because I heard of your faith that you believed and now you're part of this body. Now you're part of this. I heard of your faith and I heard of your love towards all the saints. And so this moved Paul to pray, and Paul prays in such a way that he begins to pray, and he says he prays that their eyes of their hearts would be enlightened, that they would, they would know, they would understand this inheritance that we have, this, this, this hope that we have whereby God has called us unto, unto hope. He's called us by which this calling that we have, that, that we would understand that hope that we have. As a result of that, also he prays that we would understand the riches of our inheritance. And then he also prays and he says, I pray that you understand, get this, that power that works towards you. That that power that that was like that power or according to that power that worked in Christ, that raised Christ from the dead, raised him up and set him up in heavenlies and placed all things under his feet. That he alone would be above all. That same power. And it blows me away when I start to think about that. That God is saying that the power that took Jesus and raised him up and seated him up and put all things is working in us, works towards us. Something we need to understand as we move through this, through this, this book and through this passage, that we understand that there's a power involved working in our unity that a lot of times we deny that power and we push it away. We push away what God is doing in our lives and as a result we create division and we create heartache and we use cutting words and we use division to divide us. And we as God's people need to understand that he is our head. And that metaphor of the head-body relationship is very much to understand because it was involved in, in the God's calling us. In fact, what Paul does is, is after he's done praying this and he prays that all these things are put under his feet and that he's been given to the church and his fullness fills all in all. What does he say in chapter two? In verse one, it's a, it's a passage we don't like to talk about when it says that we were dead in our trespasses and sins that we were walking according to the flesh. We were fulfilling the desires and the spirit of this world. We were were alienated from God. We were disobedient from him. We didn't recognize his authority. We didn't recognize his lordship. We didn't recognize any of his benefits in our lives. If we did anything, we were just pushing him away because we were dead in our trespasses and sins. And then I love verse four. Verse four says, but in contrast to that, but God, who's rich in mercy, according to his great power, what? Has made us alive. Okay, people, let's wake up. God has made us alive. That's an amen, okay? So what does it say? We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were, we were alienated from God, but God has made us alive. Amen. We need to be excited about that. Not only did he make us alive, but he raised us up and he seated us in the heavenlies with Christ. And that's an amazing power of what God has done in our lives, in, in, in us because of Christ, because of what he's done, that God, was, that God would give us life. And it's amazing that he uses that same kind of terminology, he raised Christ from the dead, right? He is able to raise us too. I am confident in my salvation because Jesus is able to do exactly what he said he would do. I'm confident in my, in my hope that I have because of God is able to do all that he has promised to do. I am confident in the life that I live because the spirit of God who indwells me and empowers me is able to work in me and change that old way. When I was, when I was walking in the f- desires of the flesh, when I was alienated from God, and sometimes I still return there, uh, really almost daily, dear people, Please, please, just because I stand up here doesn't mean I don't struggle. I, I put on my pants the same way. I struggle with the same activities of life. I, I promise. The bottom line is as we put those away, those things we realize that they were, we put those away. We're not, that's not who we are anymore. We're new, We're new creation in Christ Jesus. We walk in him that God has made us alive. In fact, he goes on, for for by grace you have been saved, through faith, and this not of yourselves, lest any man should boast. That that our very much our salvation isn't anything which I've accomplished. My salvation isn't something that I made it through the doors of a church enough times. I didn't put enough in the in the plate. It has nothing to do with that. It has nothing to do with my my amount of time I serve. It has simply the grace of God by which I trust and I believe for which I am saved. And it's nothing in which I can boast, but I boast Christ. I boast what he has done, what he has accomplished. And then Paul kind of goes on in, there, in that chapter about verse 10. He says, he says that we are his workmanship, that we've been created in Christ Jesus for good works, I began to realize as I thought about this as Jesus is the head over the church thinking about the head-body relationship that the primary means in which God works in the world today is through the church, through his people. And we gotta quit thinking about walls and we gotta quit thinking about buildings. I wish we didn't have buildings. There's times I walk around here and I say, we just need to sell this building sometimes. People are loving it too much, right? We need to quit thinking about buildings. We need to quit thinking about programs. We need to quit thinking about Activities. we need to be thinking about the fact that we are God's people and he's created us to do a work. He's created us to use us in this world to carry out the mission of the gospel. I love when Paul says in Romans chapter one, when, when Paul says that he's ready to come and preach the gospel, why? Because it's the power of God unto salvation. There is nobody you will ever meet that the gospel wasn't meant for. Dear people of God, we need to understand that. Whether we're at work or in the church, wherever we are, we are gospel people. We are people redeemed by the work of God. That's another amen right there, okay? Just in case, I know we don't like to say amen a lot in here, so I'm having to instruct a little bit, okay? So that's another amen, all right? So please feel free. Don't wait for somebody else, okay? I get, then I get excited and you know, all that kind of stuff, and then you all might not get, get lunch in time. I don't know, so maybe that's why you don't say amen. I don't know, but anyway. We need to work there. We need to be people that are excited about our faith. We need to be a people that are living for Christ. And when we walk in these doors, we're reflecting the gospel. We're reflecting a a people that is a people of God. That we will learn to grow in oneness. That we grow in our faith because of what God's doing. And it's an amazing thing that what Paul does after he said all these things, and he goes in the last part of chapter two, and he begins to talk about this problem that was in the Ephesians church. And it was a problem in that day. You know, it was these, these uncircumcised and these circumcised, these Jews and these Gentiles, and there was tremendous division. The Jews looked down on the Gentiles. I mean, such ungodly people. I mean, they're dirty people. They live horribly. They live horribly. They don't, they don't submit themselves to, to a holy God. And they rejected them. In fact, they were even to the point where they were struggling with why should we even let him into the church? Can you believe that? Is there anybody that can't enter into the church? No, thank you. No, there's nobody that can't enter into the church because the gospel's meant for everybody. And when you, when you become part of the gospel, you become part of the promise. You become part of what God is doing in our world. And so, so the problem was in this, there's Jews and these Gentiles and, and here, here they were, the Jews are trying to push away the Gentiles and they didn't want him. And Jesus, and Paul here uh, talking, he says, hey, look, what Jesus has done is by his flesh, he's broken down that wall. He's broken down that division. And he even goes to the place where he says he's killed the hostility, that there's no more hostility. God, man, I pray for a church. I pray for a people a people of God, that we would eliminate hostility. We're we're so quick, aren't we? We're so quick to pass judgment. We're so quick to to put off people. And when we judge for outward appearances, oh, they said something one time, maybe they said it 10 times, maybe they said it 70 times, Maybe they said it 70 times 70. What's enough that we would not forgive? Oh, I pray that we would grow as a church that would understand that hostility has no place in the body of Christ. And I'm not talking about buildings again, I'm talking about people. The people of God. We're His people. Where we, where we don't use words and to tear down one another because because when we're not walking after God, you know what happens? Our fears and our insecurities, they run rampant. And so what do we do? What do we do when someone hurts us? We never go talk to that person and make it right with them. What do we do? We go find somebody else that agrees with us so we feel righteous. God forbid that that would be part of the church. God forbid that we would operate in that way. Jesus is, Paul is telling uh, the Ephesian believers here that Jesus has broke down that wall, that there's no more hostility. In fact, if you could turn over in chapter two, verse 18 and following, it says, for through him, in verse 18 of chapter two of Ephesians, it says, for through him, through Jesus, we both have access to one spirit, To the Father. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on a foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself, the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure, in Jesus, the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. Now listen to this. In Him, in Jesus, you also are being built together in a dwelling place for God. By the Spirit. Did you see what happened there? There was the Trinity right there. You see God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, all involved in unity. I think I shared last week, and it's one of the thoughts that I've really had about what oneness is, is a year or so ago, I was really dwelling on, on what oneness is and what that looks like in unity and community. And I was really thinking about the Trinity. And as I see the Trinity, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Which one's the most important? They all are. Which one's, which one's the more valuable? They're all valuable. Which one is, is greater? They're all equal. They have, their, they have their different functions that they do within the Trinity, but they're, but they're equal. And you don't see this going, to, you know, the spirit going, hey, look, you know, I got I to do this. And, you know, and God saying, hey, look, I'm the one that had to come up with this plan. You don't see any of this kind of division. You see them operating as one. And then I was reading, and what really got my attention was I was reading through Genesis and I was reading in Genesis there and it says, and a man shall leave his father and mother and cleave to his wife and the two shall be as one. And all of a sudden I went, my gosh, I'm not even sure I really understand the fullness of what God intends in my marriage. My wife and I were so opposite and yet we're to function as one, we're one. You know, we, we, there's so much written today about marriage and relationships and the home and all that. I just wish people would talk about oneness. That we would learn in our relationship with our wives and our, and our, and our husbands, learn, learn oneness. That we would learn how to operate as one. And I begin to realize, man, God really hates depravity. And I totally understand it because I'm not sure I've really experienced oneness because of my own depravity. Forget about my wife. I'm the one that has issues, right? Right? My own fears, my own securities, and how how that impacts this relationship. And I begin to realize, wow, I'm I, I'm not sure I fully begin to understand the, the design and what God wants in, in marriage. And, and there's so much more, and it really makes me excited what oneness can be. But then God says also, He talks about the body of Christ, right? He says there is one body. One body. And all of a sudden I begin to realize, wow, God desires oneness within the body. It's the same picture. In Christ, we're being built up as a a place where God would dwell by the Spirit. And there's a oneness that takes place there. And yet so many times we allow so many things to to destroy and divide and to conquer. We we become really good at dividing ourselves and to tearing down one another if we're not careful. And it's got to stop. It's got to stop. I'm not, I'm not saying we have a huge problem. That isn't the point. I don't, I don't care. if I'd say this if I was in Tanzania. I'd say this anywhere, that we as God's people have to understand as members of the body of Christ how we ought to live. In fact, he goes on and he continues in chapter, in chapter three and down in verse six, he says, this mystery that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body, and partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. He's continuing this whole, whole concept of, of this breaking down of this wall. And there's to just be this unity that the Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body. Think about this, people. Think about this. There is one body. There is one body. There's not there's not multiple divisions. There isn't rich and poor within the church. There shouldn't be. There isn't status and non-status. That's why it's really important that you understand even though as an elder I see myself as simply a member of the body of Christ. There isn't multiple races. There's one body. There's one body. And we need to understand that as the body of Christ. He says they're members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through what? The gospel, through the gospel. And he continues this on and he gets down in the latter part of chapter three, he starts another prayer and and it's just kind of amazing. I wish I had time just to break it all down, but I don't think anybody wants to spend all day here. But he gets down in the last part and if you will, just, just pick up and Verse 17 of chapter three, he says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. This is another prayer. In fact, he's, he uses the same introduction for this reason because of what he's just talked about. He says, I pray, I bow my knees before the Father. And he goes on, he says, so, in verse 17, so, the, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and life and depth And to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Do you see what he just said again? That you may be filled? He just talked about it in chapter one, verse 22 and 23, talking about the fullness of Christ, filling all in all. Here he's talking about that you would understand the love of Christ that surpasses our own own understanding, that fills the body of Christ, that you may be filled with the the fullness of God. And then he says in verse 20, now to him who is able to do far, above, far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power that works at work within us, to him be the glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever, amen. It blew me away as I read this because I've always thought about this passage like God will do abundantly abundantly above beyond what all we could think. And I thought of Tanzania. You know, I saw so many people come to Christ over there. You know, those are the kinds of things we're talking about. Where, you know, we start this this work and here this church explodes, and we're talking about, oh, there's God, He's doing abundantly and beyond whatever we could think. And we define it in all these kinds of things. And here in the context, what I begin to realize is he's defining it within the body of Christ. You see, in the hostility that the Jew and the Gentile had, that they had for one another, it can be broken down by the power of God and the love that surpasses knowledge. It can be broken down. And there can be unity within the body. There can be community within the body because of what Christ has done. It's no different today. There can be unity in this body. There can be unity in this community. There can be oneness in this community because of the surpassing love of our Christ that, that, just, that is immeasurable, that is beyond our understanding and that that God who can do whatever he, beyond whatever we could think or imagine, that God can break down the walls that separate us. He can break down our hurts. He can break down the offenses. He can cause us to apologize and to seek healing and unity. He can break that down. In fact, when you look at chapters one through three, it's really all theological and it's, it's all doctrine. And in chapter four and verse one, he now moves to that practical lifestyle. As a result, this is how we ought to live. Because of what God has done for us, because of the work of Christ and salvation, because of, of those things, now there's a way that I should live. And, and I know many of you immediately are saying, like, Greg, Greg, be careful, you're starting to tell us how we ought to live. I go, yeah, I am, okay, because it's, it's in the scriptures. And you say, hey, Greg, you talk about grace a lot. I do, I talk a lot about grace. You see, but grace never set us free to do what we want. Grace set us free that we might live unto God. And dear people of God, we need to understand that. We need to understand that the power of grace at work in my life changes my life. People who know me, that they'll, they'll know me intimately will see that grace working in my life. Why? Because God is constantly changing me. God is making me and working in me more and more like a son. It is not natural for me to be compassionate. And yet there's times I experience compassion and I know it's not me, I know it's him. God, it's not natural for me to stop and care. It's just not natural. I'm, I'm always thinking about the next thing to do. That's very natural for me. It's, it's why I loved operations and management because just you know, whatever just happened, it doesn't matter anymore. I can get here. This is what we're gonna do now. I was always moving that way. And yet God has breaking down and his spirit working in my life starts breaking down. Grace does that. The the grace, the power of grace at work in my life begins to change me more like a son. So Paul is describing here how we should respond, therefore, in light of all these things. And he says, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. That calling that we had, that great salvation that we had, that divine summons whereby God is called. When Paul was praying in chapter 1 that you would understand the hope of your calling to which you've been called. Paul is saying now you to walk according to that calling, according to that salvation. It's 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 a wonderful picture of how we're to respond in light of who God is. It literally has the idea to, of walk is to conduct oneself or to order our behavior. It's by faith that our conduct must be in step with our salvation. It's, it's by faith that we, we take steps of, 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 of showing grace to others. It's, it's by faith that, that we respond in forgiveness instead of hate. It's by grace and, and faith that in our lives that we begin to, to love when we, we, everything else tells us to hate. It begins to change who we are. And Paul's given us that description in the scriptures. And he calls us to walk in a manner worthy of that calling by which we've been called. And then he gives us some attitudes that are important if we're going to ever have this walk. When I was was in the restaurant business and I would interview. And I remember I would interview people and I'd go through all these different things. You know, I, I, I was really simplistic in my interview process. Could they breathe? I was in a restaurant business, okay? So could they breathe? They walk and they look like they physically can do things. Secondly, can they count? It always drives me nuts even to this day when I hand somebody and they don't know how to give me change. Uh, I, or, or, anyway, that's a whole other subject. But um, then that. And then the third thing is, is I asked them, I would always ask them, we clean a lot. 80% of what you're doing is cleaning. You're gonna clean bathrooms. You're gonna do all these things. And I always kind of go through that whole, that kind of whole process, Right? And then I hire them. And usually about two months in, somewhere along the line, they start telling me what they're not going to do. And I remember one time I was talking to an employee, and I had a conversation with them. I was talking about their attitude. And I'll never forget, they looked at me and they said, look, you hired me for my work. You didn't hire me for my attitude. I was like, man, you don't get it, right? And you guys think I'm making this up. I don't make this stuff up, I promise. Because our attitude's everything in how we conduct ourselves. That employee wasn't with me very long. I promise you that, okay? Because our attitude makes all the difference. And Paul gives us some attitudes that we need where he says, he says uh, in, there in, in verse two, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. That idea of humility, in fact, the Greeks really despise that, that whole idea of humility, but it's really the proper view of oneself inside of who God is. It's a self-awareness of who I am in light of who God is. I'm, I'm, I'm appalled at our day where people are judging God and think they have every right. We've got to stop. We've got to remember who's the king of kings, the Lord of lords, and it didn't just start yesterday, but from eternity past, eternity present, eternity future, he's still the king of kings. We need to approach him with humility. We walk through these doors. We're not judge and, and verdict and, 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 the, and the whole jury we are a people that need to walk in humility, recognizing an almighty God who is the head of the church. We need humility. And he says also, he says, he says gentleness. That idea of gentleness its the idea we get meekness. It's kind of that idea of power under control. It's literally being in control in the way that we respond to one another. And boy, man, I, I, I have prayed for this in my life because I'm that immediate, quick, bam, 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 you know? I never, sometimes I respond and afterwards I'm like, where did that even come from, right? But only by the grace of God at work in my life does that begin to change. And I pray for gentleness. I pray that I learn to be a gentle person. We need to pray as a body to be gentle. And then he says patience, and the idea of patience is one who under great trial doesn't kinda lose, lose courage. It's not easily provoked and it doesn't retaliate. Boy, don't we need that in the church? Not easily provoked. It doesn't retaliate. Oh, we, we're very passive aggressive in the way that we retaliate, right? Because we just kind of turn shoulder, we avoid, we walk in another room, we, you know, we do all those kinds of things to avoid, and, and you know what? Dear people of God, no wonder the world is looking at the church and going, we don't need it. We need need the power of God at work in the body of Christ that we might be one. That when the world sees our church, they see see Christ. When they see our love, they see Christ. When they see our community, they see Christ. Somewhere along the line, we have to break our, our way, our standard, our way of looking at the church. We need to break it down. And we need to be a people who are recognizing who the head of the church is, it's Christ. And we need to put on the attitudes that he has instructed us. That we might, we might live in, in patience towards one another. That, we, that when, when unkind words are said, we respond with patience. That when, when actions are taken that, that are offensive, that we respond in humility. That when we we find a difficulty within the body of Christ, we begin to bear with one another. And that's what the next phrase is, that bearing with one another, literally bearing means the idea to hold up, to bear with, to endure. And then he says, in love. In love. It's in love that we are patient. It's in love when we're gentle. It's in love that we begin to bear with one another, that we show humility. It's in love. You see, when I'm self-centered and it's about me, the church is never enough. I'll just tell you that. I've been in a church, I've been in this church over 20 years now. I've been involved in churches since I was 20. I won't tell you the other age, no. <laughs> I've been involved in churches. I've seen, I've seen good, and I've seen ugly and I've seen horrible. Okay? I've seen God do great things, and I've seen him do, do things that I've like, okay, what are you doing, God? I've seen, I've seen all those things. <clears throat> But it's love that becomes the source of our strength of oneness and community. You see, when I operate self, with self-centered, when I put myself as the priority, and, I, and it becomes that the, the church isn't enough or the church doesn't address this or church didn't do this for me or church here or church there, you know what happens? It creates division because immediately what I do is I begin to cut myself off from those folks. I see it all the time. When people become disillusioned with the church and they become frustrated with the church, you just see them less and less and less and then you hear they're somewhere else, right? That's what we do. And they miss out on what the body is for. That the body of Christ isn't for me as an individual, but God has created me to be a part of the body of Christ. That through the gospel of Jesus Christ, I become a member of that body. And immediately, even some of you are sitting here this morning you probably, as you heard these words, you would think, and, and hey, you probably thought it of me. Well, Greg's not a very humble person. Man, he's not very patient. He's not very gentle. I don't see Greg bearing up with one another in love. And you're right, I fail. But it's love that drives us together to hold up one another and to bear with one another, to encourage one another That we would learn to grow in Christ Jesus and the unity and the oneness that He intends. And then He walks into verse 3, and I just love this verse. He says, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, eager to make every effort. It's the idea of a determined effort. We don't, we don't, we don't make an effort for unity. In fact, that word maintain means to keep. It has the idea of something you already possess because the one thing that we have, if you receive Christ in your life and and you're trusting in him alone for your salvation, that one thing we have is the indwelling of the spirit. We have God, we are his people. That's one thing that brings us together as one. And in that oneness, we need to respond with patience and humility and gentleness, bearing up with one another in love. That's, that's, that's what we're designed to do. God didn't create us to be hermits. He created us for community. He created us for unity. That's why we have marriages. That's why you see God walking in the Garden of Eden looking for Adam. He created us for relationships. He created us for community. And in the body of Christ, we're created for that. We're created to be a part of it. We're not created to tear it down and divide and to hate we are created by the grace of God to love and to care for one another. That we would, we would esteem one another greater than ourselves. And we would pray for them and we would, we would care for them. How many times has someone offended you that you would pray, God, give me the strength to approach them or pray that they would understand just to pray that God would heal that relationship? Somewhere along the line, we've got to stop the madness. Because unity and community and oneness is, is God's idea. It's not my idea. In fact, I love verses four through six, and I'm going to close with this. We see the Trinity again. You'll see it here. There is, verse four, there is one body, one body, one body, and one spirit. One body and one spirit. Dear people, God, we need to understand that. Just as you were called to, the, to one hope that belongs to your call. Remember what he said back in verse chapter one, verse 18? What did he say back there? That he, Paul's praying that they would have an understanding of that hope that is theirs, that hope in the calling by which they've been called. That you would understand that hope that belongs to your call. One hope, one spirit. One, one body, one spirit. Verse five, one Lord, referring to Jesus, one faith, one baptism, and I could spend hours on each one of these verses, but I won't. Verse six, one God and one Father, one God, one Father, one God and Father over all. Who is over all, through all, and in all. How is the fullness of, of God in the body of Christ? He fills it up. That, that we are being built up the foundation being Christ, but we're being built up into a place where God lives in Christ Jesus by the Spirit of God. There's unity, there's community, there's oneness. May God enlighten us that we would grow in this area, that we would grow in unity, that we would grow in the understanding of oneness in the body of Christ, that we would no longer be a people that are divided, but a people understanding the message of the gospel. Let's pray. Father God, I just pray. I pray, Father, even now that your spirit would just move among us your people. That, Father, we would, that we would get a glimpse of what what it is to be oneness as a body of people. That we would understand the head is Christ and that, Father, we're just members of the body that, Father, we would, we would have your spirit move among us and, and speak to us this morning. Father, I would ask, man, God, I would ask that you forgive me for the many times when I've hurt unity. I pray, God, you would forgive us as a body that we would not, that we would not blindly move forward in, in hurt and division. But that, Father, you would bring healing by your spirit. That Father, you would unite us in the understanding of the power of the gospel at work in our lives. That we would understand, Father, the grace that you have given us that that works in us. That Father, we would respond in humility. We would respond, Father, in gentleness. We would respond, Father, in patience and bearing up, holding up one another. And we would do this in love. Always determined, to keep the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. To you, God, be the glory. In Jesus' name, amen.